0: what it means to first and foremost succeed with God. As parents, that is our number one priority, and Esau failed at that miserably. Failed at that miserably, okay? And we'll see in a minute, Moses is going to point this out. Number two, a walk through this graveyard teaches us that material prosperity does not equal spiritual prosperity. Verses six through eight. Now, I want you to watch something. There's, this is a, there's a lot here. It says this, Then Esau took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his livestock, his beasts, his property that he had acquired in the land of Canaan, and he went into a land away from his brother Jacob, for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. The land of their sojournings, they're talking about the land of Canaan, could not support them because of their livestock. So Esau moved and settled in the hill country of Seir, And then Moses says, Esau is Edom. Okay, I'll I'll come back to that in a minute. Now, I want you to, when you go back and you look at the history of this, this is very interesting. Esau is too prosperous to stay near Jacob. They both cannot, the land won't support all their, their cattle and their sheep and everything. So Esau decides, okay, you know what, I'll move. And as far as we can tell, he actually did this before Jacob came. So he's sitting there, and he says, you know what, Jacob, Jacob's got the birthright. I don't really care. Jacob's, you know, he, all the, he's coming. I'll let him have the land of Canaan, and I'll just move. And he actually, I mean, he just goes and looks for a new place to live. Now, on one hand, when you think about it, this is really nice, isn't it? Here's a guy that he, does, he, he literally does not hold a grudge. He literally has, you know, that's, that's old news. I'm going to move on. He's not greedy, and he's definitely not holding on to the past. He says, you know what, Jacob, you have the land of Canaan. I'll just move and find someplace else. And you think, well, that's really good of him, and it was. But on the other hand, it shows that he has no vision for God's promises. You see, ever since Abraham came along, he's, God's been telling Abraham and Isaac, the land of Canaan is where your descendants will be. The land of Canaan is what I'm giving to you. But see for Esau any land would do, just like any woman would do. Everybody with me? On one hand it's like yeah, it's pretty nice, but it also shows you got you got you you put no value in the promises of God. Any land would do for for you. You see the man has no spiritual vision. He has no spiritual life. He has no spiritual discernment. He's just living for himself, not the purposes of God. He's materially rich, but he is spiritually destitute and and poor. Now, as I said, he's not greedy. But let me tell you, that just shows that it is possible to live in this world and and to be a generous person and even a contented person and still be living for material things, not for God. Jesus Uh, warned the church in Laodicea about this. Revelation 3.17 says, For you say I am rich, I have prospered, I have need of nothing. Here's a church that says, you know what, we got plenty. They're not greedy. They're content with what they have. And what does he say to them? But you don't realize you are poor, you are blind, you are wretched, you are naked. See, you can be contented. You can actually be not even greedy but you're still living for the things of the world and not for God. That was Esau. The third thing that a walk through this graveyard teaches us is that political power does not equal spiritual power with God. Verses 31 to 39, I'm not going to read the whole, all the verses, but I do want to point something out because Moses goes out of his way to point it out. These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom, and then Moses adds this, before any king reigned over the Israelites. Let me read that again. These are the kings who reigned in Edom before one single king ever reigned over the Israelites. And then he goes down through the list. Bela, uh, um, Jobad, Husham, Hadad reigned, reigned. These are all kings after kings. This king died, the next king reigned. This king died, the next king reigned. All the way down through chapter uh, 38 or 39. Now, A couple things here. Esau and his descendants were men of great political power. In fact, Moses goes out of his way to tell us that eight kings had reigned in Edom before a single king ever reigned in Israel. Now, there's a reason Moses tells us this. Here's Esau's sons. Now, listen to me very closely here. Here's Esau's sons, and they're kings. They're, they're ruling nations. They're prosperous. They're, I mean, it's just, it, it, everything looks like the hand of God is on them, does it not? And here's Jacob's descendants, and where are they? They're down in Egypt. They're slaves to, to the Egyptians. And Esau's sons are becoming kings before Jacob's sons, who's, by the way, who had the promise. Jacob's... Sons are na- are a nation of slaves, while Edom's sons are kings. You see, Esau's sons could have looked at Jacob's sons and says, "Where's your God? Hey, w- who needs God? We're get- we're getting along fine. He- you got all these promises, and look at us. We're the one producing kings. We're the one that's got all the power. We're the ones who who are raising sons to be leaders. Look at you. Your God ain't doing you much good." See, that's how it often is in this world. The world seems to be winning while God seems to be losing. But let me tell you, folks, God always takes a long-term view, not a short-term view. Moses says there were eight kings in Edom before you had a single king in Israel. It looked like they had a big head start, didn't it? But God doesn't... This is kind of the rabbit and the hare kind of thing, right? God takes the long-term view. Political power and spiritual power with God are two completely different things. The world may boast in its political power, but let me tell you, the one that sits in the heavens laughs at them. I love Psalms 2, 1 through 4. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and His anointed. He who sits in the heaven laughs at them and holds them in derision. God is like a bunch of fools. He takes a long-term view. Now, let me tell you, I don't want to get in today whether Christians should be in politics or not in politics. We could talk about that. But let me tell you, we always need to keep one thing in perspective. Political power and spiritual power are two different things. And political power is always subject to God. True power, true power. Let me tell you, a a, a 90-year-old woman on her knees in a bedroom has got more power than the President of the United States. Always keep that in mind. Power, true power, is spiritual power with, with God. Number four, a walk the final thing the walk through the graveyard teaches us is that temporal fame does not equal eternal recognition by God. Verses 40 to 43, and we won't read this, but it just goes through one final time and it lists all the chiefs and rulers that came out of Esau. Just write down the list. It's like he just wants us to know one more time. Look at these are lists is all that Esau uh, produced. You see, in their day, Esau was more famous than Jacob. At the end of their lives, Jacob had about 70 people with him down in in Egypt. Esau had already conquered Edom and established a dynasty. By Moses' day, over 400 years later, Israel's a little fledgling nation coming out of Egypt. They don't even have a land to call their own. Edom is already a kingdom so strong that they could tell them, "No, you ain't passing through our land, or we'll kill every one of you." I mean, they're, they're, the 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 power four hundred years has gone by, and and there's such a difference and when you just look at them from the outside, it looks like wow, Edom's Esau's done way better than Jacob. But let me tell you, it's not it's God, not man, who writes history. Those names in that chapter, for the most part, nobody in the world knows anything about them. And Jacob's name, Israel, is in the news every single day. Think about that. We don't talk about Edom today. We don't talk about Esau. We talk about Jacob, whose name is Israel, just about every single day. You can't get away from them. God has watched over them and prospered them and protected them and guided them. From that day to this, and we still talk about it today, those men in this chapter, man, they are successful by the world standards they are famous by the world standards, but they eventually pass off the scene and they're just replaced by somebody else. You see, fame is a very, very fleeting thing i want to I want to point out one final note, and I think you're going to find this uh, this this interesting i don't know if you noticed this or not, but Throughout that chapter, and again, we didn't read the whole thing, but throughout this chapter, Moses goes out of his way five or six times to say, Esau is Edom. Did y'all notice that in parentheses? Esau is Edom. In fact, he does it in verse 1, 8, 9, 19, and 43. It's unnecessary. Why do you keep doing that, Moses? I mean, say it one time, that's enough. You don't have to keep saying Esau is Edom. Now, why would Moses do that? Well, see, what I think the reason is is because God wants us to see what happens when a man lives his life apart from God. See, Edom, listen, by the world's standards, everybody here would say Esau was a good man. Esau was a good man. He was a powerful man. He was a famous man. He was a strong man. But out of that good, strong, powerful good neighbor, donated to charities and all that, did all the things so we'd call him good, out of him came the nation of Edom. Esau is Edom. And what it's teaching us is this, nothing truly can, good can ever come from a godless man. Nothing truly good can ever come from a godless life. You can give to charities and build buildings and have streets named after you and do all this stuff, but it's meaningless apart from God. It's absolutely meaningless. Nothing good can come out of a godless life. In fact, as I said, outwardly, he's a good man, a likable man, a successful man, yet from him comes a godless nation of Edom that would be a thorn in Israel's side down throughout history. Listen, Esau may not have held a grudge, but his people did. His descendants did. Yeah, I mentioned earlier one of, the, uh, one of the, his sons was named Amalek. Well, if you read the Old Testament, you'll hear this people come up over and over again, the Amalekites, the Amalekites, the Amalekites. They were a perennial thorn in Israel's side down throughout their history. The Edomite race, by the way, you're going to find this really interesting. The Edomites' race would endure all the way to the time of Jesus. Now, at the time of Jesus, they were no longer known as Edomites. They were known as Idumeans. Now, they disappeared from history completely pretty much around A.D. 70, which is when Jerusalem was destroyed. But you're going to find this interesting. Did you know that Herod the Great, who slaughtered the Bethlehem infants... And Herod Antipas, who's the one who beheaded John the Baptist, were both Edomites. They were both descendants of Esau. Now I want you to think about this for a second. Esau's descendant Herod and Jacob's descendant Jesus face off against one another. And at the time, God's side didn't seem to be winning, just like back then, right? Jacob's descendants goes to the cross. Esau's descendants goes back to his luxurious palace and and just, uh, you know, no problems. But as always, God writes the final chapter. God writes the final chapter, not men. You see, chapter 36 is portraying two roads that set before each and every one of us. On one side is the road to earthly success, earthly fame, earthly pleasure. And on the other road is a road of obedience. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. One road brings quick, visible results. It it focuses on things that you can see. The other road, it's much less visible in terms of the payoff. It's It's the long view. It focuses on the unseen, not the seen. See, the question before us is the same question that was before Jacob and the same question before Esau, and that is, which road are you going to choose? Which road will you walk? One day down the road when there's a gravestone with my name on it, and it's coming if the Lord doesn't come back. You know, somebody's going to walk by in that cemetery one day, and they're going to read, Derek Gray, born 1963, died, and that's all they're going to know. But he knows me. He knows me. Does he know you? Does he know you? See, that's what all that's left here. I, you know, I, I don't have my keys with me right now. I told you all I had a pastor one time, and every so often he'd bring out his keys. And he'd say, here's the key to my car and my boat and my gun cabinet and all that. And one day, you're just going to give it to somebody else. That's kind of sad, isn't it? Everything you built, everything you work for, everything you got, one day they just give it to somebody else. They just replace you with somebody else. See, what matters is a relationship with Jesus Christ. What matters, if you want to make a difference in eternity, you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what's written on the gravestone. What matters is what's written in His book. It doesn't matter what name is on the gravestone. What matters is, do I have a new name in heaven? Oh, folks, if I could just say anything this morning, is it's hold on to Him. Grab on to Him. Look look at the things that are unseen. Set your mind on eternity. Not this world that's just passing away like a vapor and is going to be gone in a moment. Next week, we turn to Genesis 37, and we'll pick up there with the story of Joseph. Let's pray. Father.